You're listening to Tiger's Eye, episode 16. I do not know if it is today or tomorrow. My time is spent on my back, fastened to a wooden bunk. It is dark, breathless, foul, and oppressively hot. I can move just enough to flex my arms and legs to prevent them from atrophying. But much of my strength has gone already. Waist trips down and pulls on the floor, cleared away by lion underlings before we are given our grain rations. The only sounds are crying, screaming, the rumbling workings of the boat and the lashing of the river outside. And that is our life. Every so often we are roused from our waking sleep to be taken up to the top of the boat and moved around with poles in the baking sun. I smell no trees. No animals can be heard or seen. The river is never-ending in every direction, mirroring the bright blue sky above. My nakedness intensifies, exposed like this. There is nowhere to hide or retreat to. All I can do is shuffle my paws. Two thin lions sit atop an enormous, threatening, golden tube pointed at the group. All are fearful of what might emerge. The spell of this contraption works supremely effectively. Each slave is too afraid for her own safety to act. Every spirit can be so broken. A sudden flurry of violence occurs when I am not paying attention. A pair of cheetahs is suddenly grappling with the lions who have been idly whipping at them. Taking this as our cue, a sudden, disorganized melee breaks out. The air is filled with howls and the clatter of paws restricted by these bonds. Many lions are injured or killed and beaten down. Push and pull my way up to get a better view. Perhaps, if I can find and kill Mohawk, the loss of his leadership might just give us the advantage we need. But I cannot see beyond the struggling group. Darts appear within the mob, and bodies begin to slump. 
Then the golden tube roars to life, and we are thrown down as one, screaming in pain together. My flesh burns, and the wind is knocked out of me. All we know now is the agonizing consequences of our insurrection. We are dragged back down below and marched in front of the cats, still chained to their bunks. Our bloodied flesh stands as a permanent warning. They know exactly what to do with us. One of the cheetahs still struggles. And Mohawk finally appears to hold him down and push him back into his place. The cheetah roars something defiantly and there is a dreadful moment of silence that follows. With utmost calmness, Mohawk lays the pointed end of his club on the chest of the cheetah's companion and then presses with his full weight. He then does the same to the first as we watch in horror. Mohawk withdraws and wipes dark blood from his weapon on the stilled, spotted fur. Their bodies are unlatched and dragged back up the steps. Shortly afterward, we hear two faint splashes as they hit the water. The eyes of those murdered cats at that moment now haunt me. Such fear and confusion sharpened exponentially by the realization that death had come both for them and for their companion. A chill runs through the group as we try to comprehend what we have just witnessed. Cheetahs, you fought with more bravery than I. Rest now. Go with the father of passing and return to this world in whatever form is next. I dig at the small wounds on my flank and pull forth tiny, shattered fragments of what turn out to be rock salt. Hard enough to disable us, but not kill us. At least not when spread throughout the group. I have spent too long inside myself. The silence here tells me we share far more than the lions want us to realize. It is not just fear for ourselves that holds us fast like this. I resolve to keep my gaze flicking between the cats I recognize. Opalai is not too far away, and we occasionally regard one another. The panther traders are at the other end, near the steps, and close to them there is Haka. I can barely make him out, even when I crane my neck, but I can feel him watching me every so often. My eyes are on Glam one night, 
when she is unlatched and led shaking up the steps by two lions. Eventually she returns, but weeping and cradling herself. This happens to many of the females and one or two of the males. And it becomes clear after a while what is becoming of them. Then comes the moment when Mohawk is standing beside my bunk. However, he does not have me led away. What happens next is in front of everyone. I cannot focus on detail. It is simply a mess of color and shadow in my mind. I could not tell where the roars of dismay were coming from. I look back on this moment and wonder if I was at full strength and he did not have four accomplices, how ably I would have won out. But this was not the case. And when it ended, I was cradling myself, overwhelmed with disgust, fury, and shame. Time passes. A quiet resolution settles. My life as a slave is not worth living. Of that, I am certain. I cannot hope for better treatment tomorrow. So I will fight. And, most likely, I will die. But in doing so, I will be in pursuit of my freedom. And as my body sinks below the waves, my face will be to the watchful moon. And I shall welcome the father of passing as he takes me to the next place. Because there is nothing there that I fear more than what has become of me here. This peaceful acceptance brings me to a moment of focused clarity. The attempt to overcome our captors was not organized or unified. Nobody knew what was happening or what to do, what the plan was or what the consequences would be. Now we know. Opal Eye, I whisper. He looks at me. Yes? Do you speak any panther? No. Jaguar? Yes. I crane down. Can you pass a message from me to that fellow over there? 
I can try. Tell him he looks strong and brave. Opal Eye turns about and growls over at the dozing jaguar, who wakens and glances at him, and then at me as Opal Eye gestures. This is it. I point at the jaguar, then at my own eyes. I flex my arm muscle as much as I am able and reach around to thump at my chest with a balled-up paw directly over the heart. The jaguar says something. He says, thank you. I make the thank you gesture with two pads. The jaguar's ears twitch. He is pleased and understands. Other cats have been watching this. One panther I have had in the back of my mind is looking at me. His features are familiar, and I am certain I have spoken with both his father and his daughter. I point at him, then at my throat, and then digging a claw into my shoulder to draw a little blood, I scratch a dark, red half-circle on the post of my bunk. The panther squints to see the design and then gasps and nods. This is the chief I have been looking for. He unloads a torrent of panther speak in my direction, only some of which I understand. I call out to Glam and Marl, who have been quietly watching me. I gesture to my ear. Then my mouth, then the two of them, then the chieftain. Glam calls back to me. He asks how you know his necklace. His daughter sent me to find him. I gesture with my paw, tall then short, and mew like a cub. Points to my eyes, and then wave the two pads around in a wide arc, miming a search. I point at him and say the name I remember very clearly. Shala. The chieftain trembles as he sees this and has to collect himself. He slowly makes the thank you gesture. Oh. Thank you. A leopard over to my left growls, and as I gaze into a flared yellow eyes, I realize I have met this cat as well. In fact, I slew his, no, her companion right in front of her. I shiver in realization of how close to the Durga village this procession must have traveled, which reinforces my resolve. I ask Opali if he speaks any leopard. The first jaguar pipes up, pointing at the dotted warrior and then at his own mouth. Tell her I am sorry. Opal Eye says something in jaguar. The jaguar says something in leopard. I hold my paw over my mouth, flattening my ears and widening my eyes, and then bring it to my chest hoping this will not be confused with Brave. The leopard, 
growls low again and nods, imitating the gesture. All eyes are on me now. A hush has fallen on the group. Chief Shala speaks. He asks who you are. I am just a hunter who misses her family. This circles the group, and it seems to be enough to satisfy them. They have seen me at my lowest point, seen me crushed and beaten down, violated and shamed. Now they see the fierce determination in my eyes that this will not happen to one of us again. As best I can, I encapsulate my aims, circling the arrangement of bunks with my paw, extending and splaying all the pads out as I hold it aloft, and then closing it as a fist. I see two words in tiger, which echo softly around our confines, and are translated into jaguar, leopard, panther, and cheetah as they go. One tribe. It is tomorrow. We have worked long and hard at a shared language. I know for sure there are some misconceptions around the group, as certain gestures and words have different meanings to them, but the basics have been established. We shall wait for the next exercise and spring together in targeted pathways. One group, the warriors, will be in charge of attacking the closest guards and tossing them overboard. Getting them into the Great River is far more important than injuring or killing them. This is not about revenge. It is about decisive action. Two groups must sprint to the furthest lions with their long-range dart weapons. They will be hit along the way, but must struggle to stay awake long enough to throw them over the sides. The lions must reload after every dart, and this is when they are vulnerable. Grab and throw anything you can to distract them. We need hunters to do this. The lithe and the accurate. The most cunning must look for the little tools that open our shackles and divide once they are found. They hang on rings around the waists of certain lions. One half must free those on the deck, the other must hurry down to release everyone else. If we are supremely lucky, the confusion will keep the guards focused on subduing those up top. But we all know in our hearts that these lives are forfeit. The chances of surviving a rebellion like this are minute. Therefore, when the golden tube is employed, we need the strongest, bravest, most broad-chested warriors to leap up in front of it and bear the terrible brunt of what comes forth, shielding the rest. It is the task that I put myself up for. I would not ask a single cat to do this in my place. No. I want this honor. The voice comes from the crowd, resolute and implacable. It is Opali. 
I gaze at the craggy gray face with admiration and guilty relief. His companion with the black tuft of hair reaches out a paw to lay on the old warrior's shoulder, not to prevent him from stepping up to this task, but as a gesture of pride to lend him strength. I want this honor. It is the voice of Shala, the panther chieftain. I look across, open-mouthed, as does Opalai and his partner. But before they can respond, the chorus is joined. I want this honor. Intones my leopard enemy. This gesture is so unexpected, I cannot nail down my feelings on it in time for yet another call from across the way. I want this honor, Clam says, a coldness in her voice. Though they are all speaking in the language of tigers, every one of them knows what is being said. There is a hush, and then a quiet chant begins to ripple through the room. I want this honor. 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 Not everyone is saying it, but enough voices are heard that it is clear. When the moment arises, many of these cats will lay down their lives without a second thought for our one tribe. There is a sudden crunch and a shaking of the timbers around us. I am filled with fear. I stare about wildly. Have the lions discovered our conspiracy? The shaking comes again. It was from an impact. We heard roars coming from above and a sudden scrambling to action. For a time, we lie listening to what is going on. Have we reached land? No. I can hear screaming and a terrible storm of water. We slip sideways as the ship leans suddenly. Cats are straining at their bonds in a panic. And I spot someone emerging down the steps at the end of the gangway. I gape as I realize who it is. You have been listening to Tiger's Eye, written and edited by Alex Shaw, with a full cast. Harau, performed by Maureen Foley. Opal Eye, the old tiger warrior, performed by Ian Hopwood. Shala, the panther chief, performed by Matt Wardle. Glam, the panther trader, performed by Loretta Saylor. Lisseth, the leopard hunter, performed by Megan Hopwood. Rakish, 
The Jaguar Warrior, performed by Alex Shaw. Additional voices from Lauren Grieve and Sharon and Lyra Shaw. The main theme was Agent in Shanghai, composed by 1M1 Music of Shockwave Sound. Stormfront, Drums of the Deep and Whimsy Groove, performed by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Various soundscapes provided by TabletopAudio.com, including Protean Fields and A Solemn Vow. Our special Patreon sponsors and contributors this month were Dan Mayer, Ian Hopwood, Megan Hopwood, Erish Travers, Nick Grugan, Joel Robinson, Russell Osborne, David Garcia Abril, Maureen Foley, Ben Hayes, Stefan Gardinia, Kieran Datchler, Lorraine Chisholm, Livio de la Cruz, and Scott Corzine. And if this episode got to you, give us a positive review on iTunes. Simple as that. <laughs>